Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, USFL edition. My name's Ian Hart. It's your loyal, lovely host. You know, whatever the hell you want to call me. Apologies, this is out on Friday. Normally, I want to have these out on Thursday. Unfortunately, for the third time in my short life, I, I was under the influence of food poisoning yesterday. Never a fun time, but I'm back, feeling better. It's a great day to be great. The man I have roped in to talk about the USFL with me every single week of the season, none other than PFF's finest, the legend himself, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, happy USFL Friday, man. We got football today. How great is that? Yeah, dude, it is great. Um, it's funny. I didn't know like how much I would like it. Um, I had it on last weekend, and I was kind of, you know, I just had it on while I was doing stuff. But then this week, you know, I watched the recaps and stuff again. And I mean, like, there were some good hits. I have to give them that. Like, there were some good hits. And like, ex- the first game, like, out of the gate, it was like explosive. I was like, wow, like, okay, we're, we're actually passing the ball. We're going down the field. Uh, and it slowed down a little bit from there, but <laughs> yeah, I, I look, I get to talk about football. I get to do it for a living. Like what? A, it's a Friday too, Ian. Like it's, it's a great day to be great. As you would say. I was devastated on that. I mean, okay. I caught the second quarter on the first game, went back and rewatched the first quarter, but d- look, man, if you're under people, if you're into religion, that's fantastic. My mom loves going to church. So I accompany her twice a year, usually on Easter and Christmas Eve. So she asked me to come to this Saturday Easter service. And I had no idea it was at the same freaking time as the USFL kicking <laughs> off. So I don't know if I've ever been more fidgety, uh, you know, in the pew, just sitting there. And then I leave immediately whip out my phone. And I see like the first play of the seasons, this like 40 yard bomb. And then after that, we get a, one-handed catch from Osiris Mitchell the next drive like just explosive play after explosive play it was fantastic but anyway everyone goal today especially with you all not having a ton of time to listen to us with the games coming up tonight want to go through position by position most mostly noting on the utilization Dwayne's fantastic utilization report is back in action and these injuries uh, if you go to the USFL team accounts they send out their injury reports usually around 2 or 3 a.m. I'm not sure why that's their uh, protocol but it is I've gone through those though so you guys don't have to and we can basically see uh, main goal if you're playing DFS you just see you know where the values are where the caves are where are the guys you do not want to play at all so with all that in mind Dwayne Let's talk some quarterbacks, just one injury to worry about, and that is Birmingham Stallions QB Alex Magoo officially ruled out with the ankle injury, leading to week one offensive player of the week, Jamar Smith, to start again. So Smith came in second half of last week, scored a touchdown in three straight drives to end the game, ultimately capture that uh, just victory for the Birmingham Stallions in week one. Also shout out to Birmingham, easily having the league's best pass rush. They pressured the Generals on 66% of their dropbacks. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. Birmingham is really that good on the D-line. Look the hell out, everybody. But Dwayne, again, you were kind enough to put together some handy-dandy utilization report stuff. And this is one of the things I love about the USFL is like, okay, you could ar- one could argue that you and me are wasting our time, you know, looking at this league versus studying more about the draft or the NFL. But Dwayne, what I love about it is it gives us a chance to kind of hone in some of the same articles we do for the NFL with the USFL. And thus we have a new and improved utilization report from yourself. Yeah, man. Um, so a lot of it so far is formatting, but I'm really, I'm, 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 so the one thing with USFL, there was a couple of other things I did want to do, but we're not going to have the data for, but we will for the NFL. But yeah. And the other thing I would say is 
arguably this might even give you a better edge in the USFL just because there's so little information out there. Yeah. Like there's a lot of people trying to cover it and they're writing about it, but a lot of people don't have access to some of the stuff that we do. I guess you could argue the same for the NFL, but there are more places and channels, right. that can try to get their hands on some of the same kind of data with the USFL. I feel like, you know, information alone, like can still be an edge versus, you know, it, once you get over into the NFL, like the, everybody's got the information, you know, they may not all have utilization, but yeah, so I'm excited about it. Um, so hopefully um, as we go through this, you know, since you mentioned that, like if, if folks are, are looking at this, you go look at it on the YouTube, you're hearing us talk about it. Like we want the feedback because to your point, like we want to continue to improve it for the NFL. But yeah, um, yeah, let's jump into quarterbacks, man. Let's go wherever you want to go. Big thing with the quarterbacks, if you guys tuned in any games last week, is the majority of these teams do use multiple quarterbacks throughout the game. But with that injury, we can't expect Jamar Smith to be one of the full-time signal callers. He, along with Jordan Tiamu, Kyle Sloter, and Brian Scott, those are the four guys we are most confident in playing every single snap this week. So again, Jamar Smith, Kyle Sloter for New Orleans, Brian Scott for Philadelphia, and Jordan Tiamu for Tampa Bay. If you just want a quarterback that's not going to be splitting snaps, those are your best bets. After that, Clayton Thorson did play 95% of the dropbacks last week. Kenji Bahar just came in the fourth quarter. But Clayton Thorson was pretty terrible. Win is a win is a win. The Houston Gamblers <laughs> offense could not do anything. They have one touchdown drive. They got, you know, not lucky, but their defense scored a touchdown. So when you see that, you know, 17 points on offense wasn't even that high. So Thorson, I don't think it's all that good to begin with. And I also wouldn't exactly call his stranglehold on this job all that tight. Now, we also have New Jersey, Luis Perez and DeAndre Johnson. I mentioned those generals uh, offensive line. That's the only reason why I think they just completely abandoned Luis Perez after he had a really good first half last week. They ended up turning the offense over DeAndre Johnson, and that's what led to them run the ball 24 consecutive plays in the second half at one point. So Perez and Johnson, as things stand right now, I am just staying away from them, which is unfortunate because they were both top four quarterbacks last week, but it's just so tough to expect that to sort of continue if they're going to be splitting reps the way they did uh, the previous week. Stay the hell away from this Pittsburgh Maulers offense. You know, Kirby Wilson, we thought he was coming in as maybe the most established to run-esque minded coach in the league, and he firmly uh, proved that to be correct. Dude was coming out in like seven, eight offensive lineman formations and just run the ball with absolutely no success. And oh, hey, we're going to rotate uh, Josh Love and Kyle Laletta as well. So stay away from Pittsburgh. The one interesting spot, Dwayne, and Everyone can also catch my week two preview on USFL.com. But my favorite player of the week is Shea Patterson at 10K400 on DraftKings. So, yeah, look, we all saw the terrible play that Shea made near the goal line. Fumbles the ball after dropping the snap, and you know the other team takes it all the way back for a touchdown. He got widely mocked all over social media because that's what we do. Low-key, though, came in the second half and arguably worked as the best quarterback in the USFL of the week. He just couldn't catch the freaking snap half the time, which that is concerning, but it's also something I would hope is not going to be a constant issue throughout the rest of the season. So we did see Paxton Lynch play 19 Paxton Lynch was terrible. I just have to jump yeah. in and say Paxton Lynch looks terrible in the USFL, just like he looked in the NFL. I was like, man, you were lost, Paxton. Was Dude, he lost, um, 
He was in the Buffon spring was, league. Yeah, he was in the spring yeah. league and he got, oh no, that was, I'm sorry, that was Zach Mettenberger. But yeah, there's some of these quarterbacks that then come out into these uh, spring leagues and they still can't do anything. Paxton Lynch did not play a single snap in the second half. So I really do think it's going to be Shea Patterson's offense. And Dwayne, I mean, we can look at this with the adjusted, com adjusted completion rate, average target depth, and just some of the things Shea was able to do last week. Again, it wasn't the prettiest in the world, but when it adds up, he was already the QB3. And I think the public just kind of thinks he sucks at this point. Yeah, and he had the second most designed rushing attempts, 16%, you know, on the week. You had DeAndre Johnson at 24%. So that kind of surprised me, you know, with Patterson. Like yeah. Paxton Lynch, when he was out there, 5% designed rushing attempts, but he was scrambling 29% of the time, which obviously led to some of the, the bad plays that he had. But just like the overarching thing I do with the generals, like how pass heavy will they be when they're not trailing? Right. Because right now, um, you know, they rank number one in plays uh, within three points. So they've played the most close, you know, um, snaps of anyone in the league. And even on those close plays, they ran the ball 63 percent of the time and only passed 38 percent of the time. So that's my only concern with Shea Patterson. We know we've got a conservative, a conservative coaching staff, 63 percent run versus 38 percent pass in close scripts. But then when they were trailing. 100% pass, but again, small sample. I think there's only 4% of their plays where they trailed. Um, by, when I say trail, by four or more points. And then 50% um, passing when in the lead and 50% running when in the lead. Yeah, 4% of their plays, they were trailing by four or more points for the generals. Again, love. I'm oh, sorry, dude. That so I just messed that up. Like so, I just did the generals. My bad. Sorry. Oh, it's fifty six. <laughs> it's fifty three percent pass close, forty seven percent run. So it wasn't as bad as the generals. generals um, but so, but more, but still a, a fairly run heavy team. So like I've class just real quick. I'll run through it. So the way I classified these, and you can tell me what you think. You know, Ian, um, based on the way that they handled their game scripts when either trailing by four or more points within three points or leading by four or more, just like we do in the NFL season. Um, I got the Stallions as being, there are only three teams that I would consider to, and I just did pass heavy, run heavy, and balance. Normally I have five categories, but I just kept it simple here. So I have three teams um, that I would consider to be, you know, pass heavy. Um, and so I've got the Stars for sure. 73% of the time when they were close, they threw the ball. 69% um, of the time when they were trailing, they never led by over four points. And then you've got, you know, the Stallions who were throwing the ball 76% of the time, so Birmingham. 24% of the time they ran the ball and then they never, they were never leading by four or more, but when they trailed, they threw the ball 61%. Um, so they were good on both of those. So their pass rank is second um, in the league. And then the bandits would be the next one. So Tampa Bay, and they actually threw the ball 63% of the time. I would almost consider them balanced. Like, again, we only have one week of data, so I don't really know, you know, I categorize it based on the way, like the average of the league. And then you say, okay, are you on this side or that side? I know we only have one week, so it's kind of hard to do that. Um, but those are the teams that really pass the ball. Everyone else is run is I would consider run heavy. Like it's uh, running in close scripts, 50%, 59%, 63%. Like these teams love to run the ball. We had one team that actually ran the ball 51, 56% of the time, even when trailing by four or more points. That was the Panthers. So that's what that was a concern for me with uh, Patterson. And then 51% of the time, you already mentioned the Maulers as being an offense to stay away from. Um, they never were within three points. They they obviously never led by four or more points. They trailed by four or more points the whole game um, when, when they had the ball. And so they ran the ball 51% of the time still. Like, that's, that's a big number in the NFL, like running the ball that much when you're leading. Yeah. <laughs> so to be running that much whenever you're trailing, definitely, you know, for the Maulers, maybe there might be something we can do there with the running backs, but definitely don't want to touch the quarterbacks. 
Yeah, I didn't um, even go through the hoops you did to look at, you know, the trailing or leading portion of it, but got the same conclusion just looking at non-garbage time pass play rates. Stars were at 70%, Brian Scott. Stallions at 67%, Jamar Smith. And the Bandits with Jordan Tiamu, 55%. Everybody else is under 50% in this league. Again, I do like Shea Patterson for tournaments, mainly because you can stack him with Lance Lenore, who is peppering with targets. Broadcasted Lance Lenore is his favorite target, in fact. And we got some injuries to talk about at wide receiver when we get to that. Um, the fades at quarterback that I would just stay away from uh, do involve the Pittsburgh Maulers. Again, when you just look at them rotating the quarterbacks, even though Josh Love is their presumed starter and only 6,100, I just think the answer is no. Stay away. Again, Shea in tournaments, or we're looking at Tiamu, Brian Scott, and Jamar Smith because they are legit out there all the time. Dwayne, move on to some running back stuff. Got some you know, fairly serious injury news to go through before we get going. First of all, Gambler's running back Mark Thompson is probable with a thigh injury. So this was a situation that was kind of weird because Thompson is like 6'2", 235, banger. They were using him a lot more than uh, Dalen Dawkins and everything, who was also a little bit banged up, but he's good to go. Now, they did use Dawkins on their two rush attempts on the two-point conversion from the two-yard line. So even though Thompson, you know, fits the physical mold of their grinder, apparently they're going to give Dawkins some run. Either way, Thompson is act is going to be active, so him and Dawkins should be a two-RB committee again. Uh, Birmingham Stallions running back Jordan Chun once again out with a hamstring. Look for them to continue to lean on Tony Brooks-James and C.J. Marable. Now, with the Michigan Panthers, running back Reggie Corbin was out last week, and that led to Stevie Scott and Cameron Scarlett forming a two-back committee. Corbin is good to go, though, so now we're expecting the Panthers to be utilizing three running backs. I would stay the hell away from that. Everyone else continues to only use two. Uh, Philadelphia Stars running back Matt Colburn was not practicing earlier in the week, but he has now been elevated to probable, so expect him, Darnell Holland, to again be split in time. Uh, Generals running back Mike Weber, shout-out Ohio State, got cut. Apparently because of this knee injury, but he is completely out of the picture, meaning Trey Williams should continue to lead a two-back committee alongside Darius Victor. Victor did get a lot of carries last week. Again, when you run the ball 24 straight plays, you're going to have more than running back get fed. But just in terms of utilization, Dwayne, and we'll get to this in a second, Trey Williams is looking like arguably the biggest workhorse in the league. And then finally, New Orleans Breakers running back Jordan Ellis. Limited on Thursday, I believe, is when these injury reports are, indi are uh, indicating with a foot injury. His absence could really boost TJ Logan to an even larger role than what he already had. So, Dwayne, again, I mentioned this without having Mike Weber in the picture, it's hard not to be excited about what Trey Williams was bring, was able to bring to the table because even though we got all these two back committees, only Trey Williams and CJ Marable even played over 60% of their offensive snaps. Like, this is like nightmare fuel, man. We always love the two. We can deal with two back committees, Dwayne. I say this all the damn time, but God, these are split so down the middle in almost every single backfield. Yeah, yeah. New Jersey is definitely the one that popped out to me as, you know, and I know everything's a little bit different than what we're used to in the NFL, so I'm still recalibrating. But overall, like, this is the this is the nearest thing that we have to a true every down workhorse. Um, so 64%, you know, of the routes, 20% of the targets, 24% of targets per route run, 92% of the long down and distance work, 100% of the two-minute offense. He only he ended up ranking six last week in PPR points. Um, and you mentioned the 61%, you know, the snaps. The only thing is they do keep the quarterback involved in the, on, the, on the ground. So it's really a three-way split on the ground, despite the fact that Williams is getting so many of the snaps. And he's really getting almost all the passing work. The 64% routes, like the, it's the second best, 65% to TJ Logan. So in a PPR setup, though, I mean, look, you're kind of getting, and, and again, we're not comparing talent here, but this is like a, 
it's like a Alvin Kamara type profile. Yeah, he's not getting all the rushing attempts, but wow, is he really involved in the passing game? And he's on the field plenty. So, you know, you could have any week where you could still see his rushing attempts pop up to 40 to 50%. And this this is old school Kamara, right? Not not, not last year, hey, ground, you know, grind Kamara into the ground, but like the old school days when we really had like fresh legs marking room, not, yeah. you know, 2021 marking room. So I do like Trey Williams. Um, Darius Victor, like, did jump in there and he, he stole 60% of the short down distance work. So he, if they get inside the five, they didn't have any attempts inside the five. We could expect some of those to go to Victor. So that could limit Williams's upside, you know, as far as big time touchdown potential. But to me, if you're in a PPR league where you're playing in DraftKings, you get somebody with a 20% target share, 24% targets per route run and 64% of the routes. Like those are all clicking all the, all the boxes. And I don't see any red flags about it again, because he was out there for 100% of the two-minute offense, 92% of the long down and distance work. He seems firmly entrenched right now as, you know, for sure going to getting all the passing down work. Again, with Birmingham uh, not having the other running back back in the picture, C.J. Maribel is someone that we can uh, trust. It seems like Tony Brooks-James, just, you know, uh, with the little bit of the discourse going on in USFL Twitter, Tony Brooks-James is seemingly kind of getting the benefit of the doubt here, but really RB1 in Birmingham is C.J. Maribel with Houston. Mentioned Mark Thompson being a little bit banged up. It's so split between him and uh, Dalen Dawkins. You know, last week, neither of the guys cracked the top 10 in PPR scoring anyway. I'm fine fading this Houston offense more than anything talked about Michigan having a third running back in the picture because of that we're not going to pay much attention to Scarlett or Scott again love Trey Williams I think he deserves to be arguably the overall RB1 on the week turned in RB6 performance last week with New Orleans what, what is the what is the news on Tony Brooks James why people you know I haven't read that like it's, so it's what... just a hyphen man I think people are attached to players with hyphens <laughs> in their name I can't explain it because Maribel, like you could, I mean, really, arguably, like his pro, his utilization overall profile is actually um, the best. He didn't play that great. He had zero missed tackles forced. Not great. <laughs> he only averaged one point five seven yards after contact. So the average for this league right now is two point four three. You know, the NFL is like two point nine something. Um, and zero percent of his carries went for ten yards or more. So he didn't have an explosive run. So maybe, maybe that's part of it. But man, fifty nine percent of the routes. Um, you know, so I mean, very similar to Trey Williams. Like, well, but, know, he, okay. had sli- he had slightly more of the rushing attempts, 37%. Yeah. But he handled all the stuff inside the five last week. And he got the long down and distance in the two-minute offense. So This is why I love your utilization report. This is why I love your utilization report, Dwayne. I think this is why. Tony Brooks James had a slightly higher, slightly more rush attempts, slightly more targets, even though he got dwarfed in the overall snaps and the routes. So a non-scholar would be looking at the box score, not realizing what you brought to the table, that C.J. Maribel is actually the RB1 in Birmingham. So. Yeah, TBJ, as we'll call him. I don't know if he earns that, <laughs> according to Eric e- Eager. But, you know, it's, it sounds really close to PBJ, but um, only 27% of the routes. So he's definitely not out there on the pa- in, in the passing game. Didn't get any of the two-minute offense or anything like that. So, yeah, if I were just – and this is what's kind of cool, testing the utilization report, because I have no biases towards these players. Like, you know, I <laughs> – I don't know a lot about all of them. I'm learning. I mean, I know the ones that have been in the NFL. I know them from college, but I mean, I've kind of let them go. You know, they've been out of the league or whatever. But like, it's almost like you could just take the names off and it's just like, okay, well, here are the players that are getting, you know, the uses that we're really looking for. And Maribel definitely, I would say he's right there with Trey Williams. Also in that group, I think tier one 
RBs. I got to give some love to TJ Logan. Mentioned before with New Orleans, Jordan Ellis being a little bit banged up. TJ Logan was already the lead back in terms of snaps and routes last week. And now if Ellis is going to be less than 100%, should only mean good things. Similar, I think, sentiment could be said for Darnell Holland. He ripped off that nice 40-yard touchdown run last week. Matt Colburn did work slightly ahead of him, but it was pretty close down the middle. And then with Colburn being banged up, it would make sense if Holland gets a little bit more involved. Pittsburgh, Madre London, Garrett Groshek, they're just splitting things right down the middle. Similar to Houston, I would just rather fade this entire Pittsburgh offense if at all possible. And then with Tampa Bay, we do have BJ Emmons really taking over to a similar extent as Trey Williams and CJ Maribel. And honestly, even more. I mean, he leads all the way yeah. across the board. So, Dwayne, out of this group, I would say Trey Williams, CJ Maribel, TJ Logan, and BJ Emmons stand out as our big four. You agree? Yeah, absolutely. And with Emmons, he's the only one, um, you know, he got to the 62% of the rushing attempts, still saw 53% of the route. So slightly less involved than what we saw with Maribel uh, Williams and then Logan. Logan hit 65% routes per drop back. So he's just a little behind those guys in that, but he's ahead of all of them in the rushing attempts. And um, so it's 58% snaps to Emmons, 42% to Juwan Washington. But if you look at the two-minute offense, 100% of that still went to BJ Emmons. Short down and distance, 67%. So like if you were just truly, he's not quite as high as the other guys in a couple of the categories, but just like overall back, like this is really the, this is a 60-40 kind of deal, yeah. right? You know, and it's a true 60-40 um, because you're also getting the rushing attempts on top of the passing attempts. Whereas Trey Williams and CJ Maribel, it's 60-40, but they're not going to get as much of the rushing attempts, but they're 100% in the lead on the passing downs. So yeah, I love Emmons. Uh, DraftKings pricing, there's a couple just massive discrepancies. And I think the main one this week is Trey Williams being priced all the way down to 5,300. It's just, you know, some of these... We like Sean Poindexter, who worked as the number four wide receiver in his offense last week, is still being priced as the number one wide receiver. Like it really, it really is not hard to find some value at this point. And Dwayne, uh, you know, we did not do a DFS show together last year. Maybe we will this year. But something that I think is fair to do, if you are going to eat chalk, it should be with a cheap three-down running back. That's been kind of one of my uh, main goals over the year. DraftKings, I think, even showed that that's a good strategy by lifting up the price floor of NFL running backs from three K to 4k uh, in the past few years so trey williams even though i would think he's going to be chalky at 5300 man that just gives you so much price flexibility and again i do think he probably deserves to be the number one projected running back on the slate so if you are going to eat the chalk it should be with someone like trey williams that is going to be on the field more times than not and again i will be fading it looks like stevie scott we got reggie corbin back in the picture i just want to stay away from that panthers backfield as a whole so yeah cj cj marable trey williams b J. Emmons and TJ Logan, big four at running back. And again, everyone, if uh, you want to go check out my article on pff.com, I have basically for each running back group, the injuries. I know who even plays all the time. My favorite DFS play, my favorite fade in DFS as well. So get in, get out, have a great rest of your day. Dwayne, wide receivers and tight ends. A lot of tight end usage. That kind of surprised me in week one. I wrote off the position. I thought there'd be a lot more rotation, but we did see a couple teams actually feature a tight end one on a higher percentage of routes and snaps than any of their wide receivers. So we cannot get by, just continue to ignore them in the future, and we will adjust accordingly and not do that. So with the Philadelphia Stars, big news here. This is actually one of the key situations to take advantage of on the slate because Christian Rowland, who actually looked pretty electric, man. Out of all the players in the league, I thought Christian Rowland, someone 
the stuff he did after the catch working out of the slot was the most impressive but him and Devin Gray are both ruled out and Brennan Eagles who did not play last week is out as well big thing though the stars did not elevate anyone else at wide receiver so if we actually look at their routes from last week yeah they, they split them up you had um, Jordan Sewell uh was out there for 98% of the routes. Yeah. You had DeAndre Overton for 91%, Devin Gray at 81%, and then Chris Rowland was out there for 72% with 88, uh, or sorry, with 100% of those coming from the slot. Devin Gray also played inside. So Maurice Alexander was out there for 13% of the routes. And then you've got the tight ends, Bug Howard and Pro Wells. Man, what a name, Pro. I'm, I'm a pro, bro. Pro Wells. <laughs> Bug Howard, 32% of the routes, and Pro Wells at tight end, 13%. So if you're looking routes. for a big boost in usage, Jordan Sewell, DeAndre Overton, already every down players, but expecting that more than ever. Uh, Maurice Alexander should be boosting up there. And Bug Howard, he scored last week. He only played on 30% of the snaps, 32% of the routes. Essentially using him as a slot receiver would expect him to be more of a full-time player uh, with Roland out of the picture. So if I had to guess, again, love this Philadelphia offense. They're using four wide receiver uh, sets all the damn time. Should be Sewell, Overton, Alexander, and Bug Howard primarily working with the guys out there. Some other injuries. For New Jersey Generals, Jamon Moore. Uh, I was confused, like, why Jamon Moore and Darius Shepard, the two NFL guys, were working way in the back of this wide receiver room yeah. last week. I think it was a hamstring, I, like, right out of the gate, wasn't it, with Jamon Yeah, Moore? ended up being hamstring injuries to both uh, Jamon Moore and Darius Shepard. So, Jamon Moore is doubtful. Don't expect him to be out there. Uh, Darius Shepard, though, is going to be good to go. Same thing with Week 1 All-Star. Only guy to get over 100 yards, Randy Satterfield. Kevontae Turbin is fine. And Alonzo Moore with an illness is also good to go. So, nothing too big to change here just realize Jamon Moore is not active and you know based on what we saw last week uh, it's tough to just think that he'll be even ready to go uh, sooner rather than later Michigan Panthers this is interesting too so Lance Lenore had nine targets last week most air yards he had a couple drops but loved his swag and generally did some good stuff on the field he does seem ingrained as Shea Patterson's number one target Jeff Bidette and Joe Walker both transferred from the inactive roster Bidette with a hamstring injury Walker with a leg Ray Bolden is probable and got elevated to the active roster he's been doing with Achilles and hip injuries not a great combo right there but you know he's going to try to tough it out I guess Lance Lenore is good to go with a chest injury so with Bidette and Walker out of the picture. Lance Lenore, I mean, it's reasonable to project him for the single highest target share on the slate. Um, Maulers wide receiver Jeffrey Thomas out with a groin injury. Not that big of a deal. Here's their number three wide receiver anyway in an offense we're trying to avoid. Uh, New Orleans Breakers wide receiver Chad Williams. This is another offense that's just really messed up. I mentioned this before, but Sean Poindexter is still being priced as like a top receiver, even though he was their clear-cut number four wide receiver last week. So if you really want some value, it's the New Orleans Breakers wide receivers because Chad Williams was 3,100. See if he plays, but he's a starting wide receiver for 3100 Jonathan Adams is 4k and Johnny Dixon 6600 again they all work ahead of Sean Poindexter so keep an eye on that uh, but with Chad Williams limited on Thursday with that thigh injury at least need to keep an eye on it Bandits wide receiver Shard Davis limited with a hip injury um, I would love to go after these wide receivers in Tampa Bay, but they literally rotate six of them. So I think uh, looking at their tight end, O'Grady is actually the better option if you want to stack Jordan Tiamu with anyone. 
Uh, Houston Gamblers wide receiver Tyler Simmons elevated the active roster. JoJo Ward, who led the squad in targets last week, actually down to the practice squad. So don't roster JoJo Ward. He will not be playing football this week. Uh, and then with some tight end stuff, the Generals, tight end Braden Bowman with an ankle. He is doubtful. Nick Truesdell is out again with a groin injury, leading to Woody Brandon, who is good to go, potentially having an every down roll. They did bring back, um, I think this dude was in both the AAF and XFL, but Wes Saxton got elevated to the active roster. So not saying Woody Brandon is going to have an every down roll, but without Bowman and Truesdale, um, I think Brandon is being priced like well down the 3K range. Uh, you could talk me into worse start throws. And that's about going to wrap up those injuries. So Dwayne, big two takeaways here. Again, looking at the stars, not replacing Roland or Gray is really good news for uh, Sewell and who is our other guy? I'm going to get all these names down eventually, everyone. It was good news for Sewell <laughs> and DeAndre Overton. And then I mentioned the price and discrepancy with the New Orleans Breakers being good news for uh, Johnny Dixon. Chad Williams, if he winds up playing. And the last guy who is in a good situation... Jonathan Adams at 4K. So with that in mind, with the pricing, Dwayne, let's quickly go through some of these wide receiver rooms. And again, it's, uh, you know, you include the tight ends on here. You, we will see these situations where there's four, five, even six wide receivers rotating. And actually the tight end looks like the number one pass game option. Yeah, so like, we'll just run through them real quick. So with Birmingham, you, you've got a tight end that's out there all almost all the time, 89% you know, of the routes. I know the number we're looking for in the NFL is if you can get to 80%, and see, be somewhere around 20% targets per route. Definitely was under that, but like again, it's one, it's one game. The main thing is that I see with Birmingham, Birmingham, like the takeaway is like, look, it's it's there's four players that they're running, you know, the offense through. So I mean, I like that, and they're all out there all the time. Bolden 100% of the routes, 100% to Osiris Mitchell and Marlon Williams 100%. So and you had the PPR ranks four, four at tight end. You got nine overall for Victor Bolden, and then you got two for Mitchell um, on the week, and Mitchell. 2.67 yards per route run was the second best on the week. Again, small sample size, but we like to see, you know, the guys that can flash. And He's and a baller. You saw that one-handed catch. That was like the highlight oh, of yeah. the week. Yeah, no, it was it was a good play. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with it for sure. Um, when we look at Houston, you know, a little bit different. They have more of a rotation going on here. You mentioned JoJo Ward was really like the – he was their best player, 50% of the targets last week, but we won't be, we won't have him. So that's going to change things like really, you know, so Brandon Barnes though, another tight end, 82% of the routes. So like if I had to put a chip on someone on Houston, there's two guys, it's Isaiah Zuber at wide receiver, played hundred percent of the routes, saw 35% of the team's air yards, but then Brandon Barnes at tight end, 32% of the air yards to the tight end, Ian, like <laughs> 50% of the end zone targets, 67% of the targets coming on play action. And, and this is a team that's actually pushing the ball down the field a little bit more. Both those guys had nice A dots. Uh, Barnes at 12.3, Isaiah Zuber at 20.5. So I like both of those guys. Um, then talking through Michigan real quick, again, another a little bit more spread out, but you mentioned Joe Walker and Jeff Bidet. Do they have somebody that they're promoting? Did you mention something there? Oh, uh, yeah. Up? They're bringing up Ray Bolden, seemingly, but again, he's dealing with the Achilles and hip injury. So it's, it okay. should be Lance okay. Lenore's uh, world, and we're all just living in it. Yeah, so that could be one thing to think about with Patterson. Um, you know, he's going to have limited weapons. They already used three tight ends last week. Um, let me look at something real quick. Like I did, I ran a quick thing on just personnel groups as well. Um, and so just looking last week at, uh, let's see here. Like, so, so Birmingham was 90%, 6%, 10 personnel or 11. Um, Houston, 58% of the time was in 10 or 11. So 10 being four wide receivers, 11 being three. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then whenever you look at uh, Tampa Bay, this is what you mentioned, why you love them. 100% of the time, they were in 10 or 11 personnel. But then whenever you get to Michigan, which is what we're talking about here, 46, only 46% of the time were they in 10 or 11. They love, they love the 12 and 21 personnel. So that's two tight ends or two running backs, usually a running back and a fullback. 54% of the time, that was the most in the league. And then the Gamblers, 80% of the time, they were in three wide or four wide. And then Pittsburgh, 98% of the time. A lot of that was probably due to trailing scripts. I don't know that we have a true read on that situation um, yet. But So I was just bringing that up with Michigan. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But the positive for Patterson is like, you, man, you know you can stack him with Lenore and you can stack him with Ross. Um, they're probably going to be close to 100% of the routes, I would guess, this week. Yep. Um, and some of the other tight ends could get more involved. I don't know which... I don't. I can't give you a tight end to put a chip on though. In the offense, they rotate all these guys. Forty-seven percent of the routes to Ball, thirty-nine uh, percent to Magnifico. Another really good name, like Magnifico. We've got Magnifico, <laughs> and, and yeah, and we got a pro. Um, so, um, and then and then Petway, thirty-seven percent. And none of these guys really had high targets per route run. Just either. fade them all. Just fade them all. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you got to remember too, like it's a flex. It's a wide receiver or tight end. So, like we don't mm-hmm. need to go out of our way uh, for these guys. Before you get into New Jersey, just quick note about them as someone that you know. If you want to say sadly, whatever, I enjoyed it, but I watched every snap. Alonzo Moore and Cavante Turbin. When you're seeing these air yard totals and the high average target depth. A lot of that came down to just some Hail Marys on the last drive. So Randy Satterfield was the true game changer, yeah. deep threat for this offense. Alonzo Moore and Turpin. They were still out there. Like they're in three wide receiver sets. I'm not trying to say they're completely off the table. Uh, but just realize when we see, you know, air yard shares between 24 and 31% for all three, Satterfield really was the true number one. And there. he was off to a huge start. He took a big hit in the end zone. On that touchdown, yeah. Catch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, 3.33 yards per route run. That's the number one in the league for week one and that goes to that's Saturday. cooper cup levels let's go <laughs> <laughs> yeah we got cooper cup going um, worked outside most of the time but like he and the quarterbacks are they're like really they're on the same page 100 percent of his passes were catchable now 40 percent of them were contested um but that's about average right now for what we're seeing in the league again we only have one week of data this will get a little bit stronger when we move into week two um, you already mentioned the stuff with Alonzo Moore, but they, they really just have three receivers that they're using here. And you already mentioned Jamon Moore, uh, you know, the issue with the hamstring. We will have Darius Shepard back. So I don't know how – do you have an idea, Ian, on how that's going to affect the rotation? I think we both agree Satterfield will still be the number one. But is, does Jerry, do Darius uh, Shepard snaps come at the expense, in your opinion, of Alonzo Moore or Cavante Turpin, or is it just kind of up in the air? It could. The thing is, Alonzo Moore has been with uh, Mike Riley, the New Jersey coach, like literally in every single spring league that either of them have done. So I think they really do love Alonzo. If anything, I could see Shepard uh, and Turpin maybe rotating a little bit more. So the thing with New Jersey, man, I'm probably just going to refrain from them a little bit. Like there's a chance their O-line might just be like the single worst like positional group in the league. I don't know how you get pressured on 66% of your dropbacks. Like look at Luis Perez. I I thought he was going to be really bad. Hey, but he's gotten better. He's gotten better than when he I saw him. He was very sharp early in the game. Very yeah, sharp early. like he he had some rough stretches in the AAF and then even into the XFL. He looked a lot better last week. And it's, again, legal in the year 2022 for young football players to improve. But to see DeAndre Johnson come in, play pretty much the whole second half, and then just really embrace this run-first offense that, to their credit, I mean, worked well enough. It is the USFL. It's not – I mean, the whole, like, you need to throw the ball thing is only in the NFL – 
really when passing is so much more efficient than rushing. But we've seen examples in college, high school, maybe even the USFO, where running the football can be more efficient than passing. But with all that going on, I'd like to just stay away from New Jersey. Breakers, Dwayne, this is where, yeah, Sean Poindexter, 45% routes. Dixon, Chad Williams, and Jonathan Adams all over 77%. And we also have Sal Canella standing out as one of the more utilized tight ends. Yeah, um, Canella, like, so just a quick summary for folks who are like hearing this go team by team. Like the tight ends, they saw at least 80% of the routes. So you got Angeline, I think that's how you say it. I listened to the game, but maybe it was Angeline. That's from Birmingham, Carrie. And then you've got Brandon Barnes at 82%. And then you've got Sal Canella at 87%. But man, 27% of the targets, also a 27% targets per route run. 32% of the team's air yards for New Orleans. So that was the second most on the team behind Jonathan Adams. You know, he was the third highest scoring tight end, you know, on the weekend. But yeah, 2.23 yards per route run. Also the highest out of any tight end in the league. Well, actually, sorry, um, Cheyenne O'Grady was higher at 2.69, yep. but just behind him. Um, so yeah, we've got, and so that would be the last tight end would be Cheyenne O'Grady. We'll get to him in a minute. So there are, there are multiple tight ends um that are out there man playing all these snaps um there are all those guys that i just gave you were over 80 percent. so canella would be my favorite player to use um on the new orleans breakers offense actually after the breakers mentioned philly a little bit already with some of their injuries want to really focus on jordan sewell and deandre overton this week don't worry about their well okay buck howard should see a little bit of an increase but even then man it's a bit of a leap of faith there only 32 percent routes last week they were throwing the ball when he was out there 29 percent yards per i mean targets per route run is an astronomical number compared to a lot of these tight ends in the league but the thing is it's just that's a big leap of faith to assume those snaps are going to go up particularly with our guy pro wells you know being in there getting plenty of run in his own right but yeah Dwayne number one tight end is easily going to be I'm going to mess up his first name we'll just call him O'Grady baby Gronk with the Tampa Bay Bandits 92% routes 31% targets per route run not a single Tampa Bay receiver was over 67% uh, routes in this one Jordan lastly did look like the number one he caught the touchdown we saw Tiamu you know seemingly zero in on him more than the other wide receivers but my God, Dwayne, six wide receivers between 31 and 67% snaps. I'm inclined to probably just fade him because I just don't think yeah. there's really enough uh, target share to go around there. And then with Pittsburgh, like, yeah, it's great. We've had Delvin Hardaway and Bailey uh, Gaither really separate themselves as the top two guys. Again, Jeff Thomas is likely out of this game. He was a number three wide receiver anyway. But in this offense where they're using so many damn offensive linemen and they want to, like, they came out in the second half down multiple touchdowns and they were still just, <laughs> You know, plugging yeah. away trying running to like eight lines so, and stuff yeah <laughs> i just don't want anything to do at pittsburgh tampa bay we are loving o'grady and the things that he can bring to the table as an every down receiver uh birmingham again birmingham's a great situation because we actually have a condensed offense really with jamar smith now being the qb1 uh cj marable ahead of T tbj in the backfield and then having victor bolden osiris mitchell marlon williams top three wide receivers and carrie angeline as the undisputed top tight end if you're looking for an offense that is just the most condensed in terms of people touching the ball it is probably going to be birmingham uh with houston again mentioned isaiah zuber being a league guy there but i put houston right now in the same kind of pittsburgh bucket as i'm just not really gonna be rostering too many of these guys Love the Shea Patterson, Lance Lenore stack with Michigan, uh, with New Jersey. Similar to Houston and Pittsburgh where I have some concerns. And, you know, based on that big week one, I probably think Satterfield's going to be a little bit uh, too high owned to be going back to the well. 
breakers instead are where we want to go to. I mean, Kyle Sloter didn't even play that well last week, and you know, for them to still get that win, I thought was impressive. Got some help from the defense, but I think if we see a you know return to form from Kyle Sloter, guys like Johnny Dixon, Chad Williams, if he's healthy, Jonathan Adams should be in line for big weeks. And then finally with Philadelphia, another big situation right there with New Orleans to take advantage of due to some injuries. Jordan Sewell and DeAndre Overton should be the top dogs there. And if you want to sprinkle a little some on Bug Howard, that's fine. Just realize he needs his routes to go up in a major way. Dev, Devin Gray could surprise us. Like 100% of the time, he worked from the slot. So Chris Roll, Roland, that's where he played. We know they want to run the four wide. I don't know who else might come in to play 10 personnel. Or if, to your point, maybe they just use Bug Howard a little bit more. Maybe put him out, you know, run more 11 personnel with him on the field. Um, but Devin Gray, I mean, 100% of the time in the slot, really that lower A dot. Um, kind of guy, um, at least so far from what we've seen. So yeah, I think he could benefit like from Chris Roland being out. Again, people, if uh, you know you're gonna be trying to make some late swaps or anything like that on DraftKings, I did make a list on my Twitter. Uh, you know, just if you go to list USFL at iHeart, it's I, all I added was just the USFL teams along with the OG Cody Main, who was obviously on this podcast last week, doing great stuff over at Establish the Run. But yeah, they send out their injury reports usually early in the morning, but they do send them out, and uh, you know they are consistent with it. So respect them for at least handling that. And yeah, so before we. Uh, move on to some quick picks here I just want to list out some cheap punts at wide receiver because again there are some discrepancies I don't think you're going to have too much trouble uh, needing extra cash here. Again, I mentioned Trey Williams, only 5,300. Like You can save cash a lot of places if you want it, but particularly at wide receivers. So just listing guys that are you know 4,000 or under and are going to be full-time players in their offense. Birmingham Stallions wide receiver Marlon Williams, 100% routes last week. Stone Cold minimum, $3,000. Breakers wide receiver Chad Williams. He's got the injury, but just 3,100, 87% routes last week. Chris Rowland's out, unfortunately. Panthers wide receiver Devin Ross, 72% uh, routes, 3,500 uh, on DraftKings. Mahler's wide receiver, Delvin Hardaway. And Chad Williams is probable or questionable, Ian? We don't have a designation yet. He was just limited okay. in practice, so we'll see. Okay. Uh, Mauler's wide receiver, Delvin Hardaway, 97% routes, just 3,600. Generals wide receiver, Alonzo Moore, probable, 84% routes, 3,700. Stars wide receiver, DeAndre Overton, 91%, 3,800. That is a freaking value based on some of those injuries going on with the Stars. Uh, definitely circle Overton there on the old DraftKings lineup. And finally, New Orleans Breakers wide receiver, Jonathan Adams, 77% routes and 4K. Based on the injury stuff, I would say if you have the extra 900, dollars try to get up from chad williams to jonathan adams so damn Dwayne, so Ian, you know, real, real quick with the yeah. with the pricing being so loose like how concerned are you with really maxing out your salary not at all it's like, it's, to me it's like DraftKings doesn't know what the hell's going on i think it i think it behoove you to not uh max it yeah. out, honestly i think Cody, yeah you're just going to make your roster more uh you, you know you'll have it it'll be different than the field and i'm honestly don't know that you're going to be maximizing points by going higher um, you know, obviously there's going to be a threshold somewhere in there, you know, that you're going to want to be over, but I just based on, again, and this is new to me, but just like looking at the data, which sometimes is nice because you, you don't have any preconceived notions. Like my immediate instinct in all of this is I'm not really that worried about how much of my salary I'm using. 
from at CMain7, Cody Main, established the run's finest. Last week, top 1% of entries used just $48,300 on average. So they left an average of 1.7K just out there. That's been a common strategy in showdown slates over the years. Like when we have yeah. just this condensed player just pool, to differentiate. only eight teams, leave a lot of salary there. Don't be afraid to leave multiple thousands of dollars. You know, if we're getting under like 47,000, then maybe you should take a closer look. But yeah, man, again, we I think it depends like on how tight the market is, like where that number, and it may change a little bit every yeah. week, but I, I wouldn't be afraid to go a little bit below what Cody Even then. on the screen. Right, yeah, because... Again, we talked about some of these situations where the top wide receivers are thousands of yeah. dollars cheaper than these other guys. So it really just doesn't even behoove you to go up in pricing right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everyone. Okay. Got some quick picks before we get out of here. Dwayne, if you also have some spread bets, you feel free to throw them out there. I am two yeah. and two. This, this, this one's all. This one's there all. There we you. go. Let's go, everyone. <laughs> two and two on the season. Uh, you know, if I stop listing my against the spread record at some point, that probably means it went south. But for now, 500. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hold the in accountable, folks. We'll, 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 make him, <laughs> we'll make him live through it. Friday night, we got the Michigan Panthers versus the New Jersey Generals. Pair of 0-1 squads. Generals favored by one and a half. Game total of 42 and a half. They fixed all these game totals. I would still probably lean towards the under on most of them, but you know, gone are the days of these things opening in the 50s. That was still like the most ridiculous part of the whole season. But I really do think the Michigan Panthers are a lot better than maybe they're getting credit for. Again, it's easy to make fun of Jeff Fisher, Shea Patterson, Paxton Lynch, particularly <laughs> the latter quarterback. But I do think Shea and what that offense can do is a little bit better than the Generals, who might just not be able to block anybody at the line of scrimmage. So give me the Panthers plus one and a half there. We have two games on Saturday this week. There's changing up the schedule a little bit week to week. So we got the Pittsburgh Maulers facing the Philadelphia Stars at noon Eastern on Fox. Gotta love that. Another battle between 0-1 teams. Stars are six and a half point favorites. Game total is at 37 and a half. I'm, I'm picking the favorite, Dwayne. I think the Maulers are potentially that bad. It is a widespread, so I'm not exactly my you know favorite uh, one to be putting money on here, but I do think with Brian Scott, the Stars' offense, I still think that their continuity will be a net positive for them early on in the season, and I think they faced a top-two team in the league last week in the New Orleans Breakers, so give me the Stars. Is Brian Scott historically like just this quick dump-down passer? Ian, I don't know anything about him. Like That's the thing that immediately stuck out to me in ADOT of 3.6. No, he did play 100% of the dropbacks, but I I was just kind of like, okay, or was he just under a lot of pressure? I know 14% of his dropbacks, he was sacked. Yeah. Um, I think it was just a bad week for him. I mean, him okay. and Bart Andrus, when they were. I know they, he follows you, right, on Twitter. So you, yes. you, gotta, you need to be cool here. Exactly. So I'm never going to say anything <laughs> bad about the guy. So take that up for what it's worth. No, but I mean, that's what's so funny about the Stars. Like, they won the Spring League Championship in like 2020. And like, they just got the band back together there with Andrus, with uh, Holland, uh, Sewell, I believe. Like, just a bunch of these guys were all on the same Spring League team together. Uh, so, uh, with that in mind, I do think we'll see better days ahead for Brian Scott. And again, with the Stars offense throwing the ball around uh, as much as they were willing to, maybe that's why the A dot's a little bit lower, man, because they're just using so much of it as an extension of the run game instead of running in the first place either way like just in terms of like offensive strategy i think the stars have an argument for being tops in the league and the maulers i think definitively are probably the worst so give me the stars minus six and a half 
Also on Saturday, 7 p.m., we got the Birmingham Stallions and the Houston Gamblers, pair of 1-0 teams. But yeah, I think the Gamblers are a little bit fraudulent. Sorry, all you Houston faithful. Stallions minus 3.5. I will be riding with that. Game total sitting at 40.5. So yeah, I just don't think the Gamblers' offense is really worth much of a damn. That Stallions' defense, like, I want to find out this week if it's the New Jersey offensive line that is that big of a train wreck or if the Stallions' pass rush is just that legit. Because if we can find, like, one elite position group in this league where let's face it no one was really popping off the board that much last week um, I do think it could help us down the road and finally Sunday football 3 p.m. on NBC and Peacock battle of my top two power ranked teams New Orleans Breakers and the Tampa Bay Bandits Bandits favored by two and a half game total at 40 and a half this one's tough I'm going with Tampa Bay minus two and a half I just think Jordan Tiamu and company you know, 14-point win in week one. It was a good showing by the defense as well. Breakers, Kyle Sloter, I do think he'll have better days ahead, but it wasn't great in week one. And again, just I think Jordan Tiamu and being in this offense, a little bit better bet at this time. Give me Tampa Bay minus two and a half. Dwayne, we have completed our first USFL preview. Again, apologies, everyone. This will be out earlier in future weeks uh, as long as I don't get uh, food poisoning every single Thursday for the rest of my life. Uh, I'm knock on wood. Make sure that doesn't happen. So, Dwayne, anything else you want to get off your chest? No, man. Like, you're, you're, you're destroying the USFL content. Like, I read your article yesterday, so you folks got to go check that out. Yeah, uh, this is good stuff. I'm going to play. I'm, I'm going to get some money in the streets this week. I'm committed now, Ian. You know, you know me. I'm a believer. you got to have skin in the game to talk about it. Uh, yep. I'm not going to put a ton of money out there, but we'll, we'll, we'll get a little bit going on the USFL this weekend. Check all that out on DraftKings. Have any questions specifically, feel free to at me on Twitter. You know, I'll be grinding some lineups throughout the afternoon and stuff at iHeart. You can catch Dwayne at Dwayne McFarlane. And yeah, great day, great day to be great people. Let's go win some money. Why the hell not? For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.